Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host, producer, and sports writer for LSJ. Joining me today, I believe, are two people who have never been paired together on this podcast before. It is Detroit Free Press, Michigan State B-Writer Chris Solari, and Lansing State Journal sports, to- st- sports storyteller Nate Atkins. I think I stumble over that every time I try to do that uh, consecutively, Nate, so uh, I'm sorry. So obsessed with, with getting that title out, too. So. I know. Nice commitment to the process. A title that you despise. So, <laughs> it's a title I once owned. Yeah. <laughs> Seemingly. All right, Nate, how you doing this afternoon? I'm doing well. No, it's it's cool to be in the same place as Chris because we were not on Saturday, and I know Chris was out of town, and I was scrambling to try and fill in for Chris along with Brian Calloway um, at the thrilling Michigan State Western Kentucky game that. Thankfully, did not go to overtime like the last, unlike the last game. So that was nice. But I, I Chris, got, I hope you had a good time out of town. I did. I managed to in between the end of the reception and the beginning of the evening of extra festivities past <laughs> the reception, peek in on the game, and I couldn't believe, uh, you know, late in that first half, seeing the score, and um, I, I got chastised for even peeking in and seeing when Jaden Reed kind of kind of tweaked himself a little bit and uh you know people were saying why don't you take a night off and it's like well I, I am i'm just peeking in to look i mean it's you know it's no different than if you're at a wedding reception and you want to go look at a game real quick right it's just i just happen to have it on my phone <laughs> yeah i i was also out of town this past weekend and i, I think i peeked at the score a couple times but I, I did not watch a second of the game during during the course of the game actually being played. So, you Nate, know, you're just going to have to carry this podcast today is basically what we're, yeah. what, what we're telling you here. <laughs> I, I didn't realize this was the Western Kentucky recap podcast. I <laughs> don't know that that's where everyone's head is, but yeah. who knows? Maybe it is. Well, I mean, there, there's obviously the excitement of having a lot of points again. I mean, that's, you know, and it's been a fairly consistent thing. And so, I mean, you know, you, you talk about four out of the five games – of putting up big and dynamic offensive numbers, uh, both in the run and pass game. That's, that's pretty exceptional. And I think that's the, that's the big key to me. I think moving forward is sustaining that uh, because, you know, the defenses are going to get harder and, you know, this stretch to me, and I've said this before, I think this next four game stretch um, really with, with the, the game this week at Rutgers next week at, at what possibly is going to be a depleted Indiana, then Michigan, and then at Purdue. That's, to me, the difference between a very good season and, and getting to a bowl game and potentially being a great season. Because, you know, if you go into November with that forward momentum, I, you know, anything's possible at that point. Because I think that the Big Ten has looked fairly fallible compared to some years where Ohio State was so much head and shoulders above everybody. 
Yeah, you definitely want them going into that Ohio State game, second-to-last game of the year with some momentum because it felt like last year, you know, for, for so many years they've geared up and they've leveled up to Ohio State, but last year was the one year that I just think everyone knew going into it, and they knew it too. They didn't have a chance in that game against Justin Fields and just how chaotic everything was for Michigan State. So, yeah, that's a sneaky, not to get too off off the beaten path, but that game for Ohio State's right before Michigan. So there's a little possibility that Michigan State, even though they may be ranked, and I'm blown away that they're ranked 11th already, um, they, they could still be ranked by then and still have a chance to make that a pretty big game. Yeah, and you know the other cool thing, I think, from Michigan State's standpoint is you get through this next two games on the road this weekend and next weekend at Indiana, and you get a bye week before going into Michigan game. Um, which, you know, that's, that's a a big thing, you know, getting some rest because these guys, I mean, they they haven't really rotated a lot of guys in on offense. I mean, other than the offensive linemen here, there, the skill players have pretty been pretty much been static. You know, they've rotated the, the, in the trenches on the defensive side, but the, the, the secondary and linebackers have been fairly static, uh, which I think this is a big game. Uh, with Cal Halliday being out in the first half to to get some linebackers, some experience, uh, particularly Ma Naoteote, because I think that um, you know he's obviously the the one guy that that could be uh, the next superstar on the defense. You know, the four star recruit has a chance to, but we really haven't seen him much until the end of the Western Kentucky game. So, and with Chase Klein gone um, and and Halliday, uh, you know, out for a half, that's going to be. It's going to be interesting to watch to see how that defense responds uh, in the middle because, you know, is it going to be now Teote or are they going to go with with the veteran, with Noah Harvey, who has experience in there? I don't know. I mean, that's going to be a, a fascinating choice to watch. Yeah, and I, they definitely need to build up that depth because they're they're just between the Chase Klein transfer, uh, Kalen Gervin, you know, these things stack up a little bit. And and like you said, it's a lot of young guys that got to grow up really quickly because by the time you get to – Michigan, I mean, they may not look like a really dynamic offense with a big passing attack, but it's one of the most physical games of the year, and they're, they're just going to have to, especially at linebacker, be at their best to be able to, to kind of hold firm there. And um, that, that's a game that if you're not you're not ready to play for – like if you're not ready to play Rutgers yet, um, Michigan's going to smack you in the face. So they, they have a chance, though, to grow up here in the next few weeks. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm fascinated to see what Michigan does against Nebraska because I think that's – you know that's two strengths going against each other with with Michigan just relying so heavily on the run and as we saw a couple of weeks ago Nebraska really bottling up the run game I, I I you know I saw that uh you know that they gave McCarthy some snaps um a little more extended run in that game so you almost wonder are they trying to get him a little more experience to to in case they need more of a passer in that game to to kind of extend things which you know, it, you know, if you're Nebraska, I think you should be preparing for that. Yeah, I think that I was listening to a different podcast and they were talking about that. And they mentioned that there could be like a, you know, Jalen Hurts to a situation there like at, at Alabama where if they need somebody to go over the top, you know, they they bring in the other quarterback. And it'll be interesting to see how if, if that's something Michigan, you know, rotates their QBs and not like that. And obviously not that Michigan State's going to rotate their QBs like that in any yeah. scenario. But uh, yeah, I, I did find that interesting. Well, that's the other thing. I think with when you mentioned uh, Tua, I think his brother obviously losing Dante Demas at Maryland, you know that all of a sudden, be, to me, becomes a little more of a manageable game for Michigan State. Because I think I had about four games, five games going into the year without, 
you know, kind of sight unseen with this team, what might be a coin flip game. This Rutgers game was one. The Indiana game was one. Penix might be hurt. So Michigan State, with that bye week in between uh, those next two games and the Michigan game, have a chance to heal up some guys and prevent a situation like that and, and face some teams that are a little down. That, that I think, would be, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you, you got a chance to start off 7-0 and going into the Michigan game, which who would have predicted that? Yeah, and it's it's like each week that Michigan State keeps looking competent and keeps getting W's. I mean, they, they just kind of rewrite our expectations a little bit for what this team can be, and you start to trust your eyes a little bit more. And, for example, I agree with you, Chris, coming in the year, I thought it, Rutgers would be a coin flip because, I mean, they lost to them at home last year by 11 or so. But right now, I don't see it that way. Uh, I mean, we're, we're obviously going to get into it, but I, I this should not be a game that Michigan State loses if they um, if they look like they have the past five weeks or so. It's pretty crazy, and this is something I really wanted to talk about. If you had told me last November, you know, after Thanksgiving weekend, that we'd be five in, five games in, the Spartans are five and zero, ranked number eleven in the country. They have, I guess, I would say at this point, a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate in, in Kenneth Walker. I just would have straight up told you that you're off your rocker. And to be honest with you, this is sort sort of gone with Nate was saying about uh, being surprised if Rutgers hangs with Michigan State. It's just kind of like I'm surprised no one's really talking about you know, a possible run to the top four in the playoff at this point, because if you look at their schedule, I mean, I believe Ohio state and Penn state are the last two games. Am I, I am correct on that. Right. So at Ohio state too, I think it's, I don't think it's obviously Michigan's going to be a toss up, but I don't think it's that unrealistic for them to be 10 and 0 going into those last two games, especially the way they've played so far off offensively and defensively. I, I'm actually sort of surprised fans. I said fans don't talk about it that much quite yet. Are they just being too realistic or maybe do I need to pump the brakes on thinking that this is actually a legit thing they can be looking at at this point? Well, I think right now fans are getting a little bit excited. They're certainly curious, but I'm certainly interested to see them beat a real legitimate team. You know, in the moment it looked like that Miami win was fairly impressive, but I mean, Miami looks like a dumpster fire, and it's starting to look like they didn't just get blown out by Alabama because it's Alabama. They're, they're not looking good really any game. And so, so far, Michigan State's controlled business. They've played from in front almost the entire season. But, I, I mean, I'm, their best win right now is Nebraska, and that, that just isn't they, – they have to do more than that before I think you can really put them into a playoff conversation. But I will say, though, looking ahead at these games, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, there's not one of those I look at and I'm like, Michigan State can't win that. Whereas last year we did say that about certainly the Ohio State game. Um, kind of felt that way about Penn State by the time that game got there. So um, they have a chance here, but but I I just but – it, but it's weird because I, I'm not – they beat up on Rutgers this week. I'm not going to be feeling too much different either. It's just got to play out a little bit. Well, I do think Shiano's had them playing a lot better. I mean, they, you know, they've got two losses and they're both against the past two weeks against ranked teams, but Ohio state blew their doors off and did what they needed to do and probably should do it in every game, you know, and, and maybe we're, we're still hinging a little bit too much on that, that, that one loss that they have because, you know, come November, Ohio state, should still be right there in the mix. But uh, I, I do think that this this team has surprised me quite a bit um, with with how quickly the offense has got better, particularly up front. I mean, that's, you know, it, it, you can only look at, at the guys that they've had for so many years and say, where's the ceiling with them? And, and quite frankly, they've played above that already. Um, you know, a bunch of, I mean, yeah, you add Jared Horst, but those other four guys down the line have a lot of playing experience. And, 
you know, keeping them healthy and keeping them intact as a unit, I think has been really every bit as big because because Walker's got tremendous vision. I mean, Walker's got not just the cutback ability and and the, the acceleration, but he he's got the wiggle through tight holes and you know he's so quick to hit them, but they're creating them for him too. Uh, it's not like they're blowing the the defensive line completely apart. They're giving him creases to get through, and that's that's where you see when you hear Mel Tucker talk about complementary football. It's not just in the, all the phases, you know, offense, defense, special teams. It's in the offensive line, the running backs, and the receivers blocking. It's in the quarterbacks being kept upright by the line and and being able to deliver the ball to the receivers and the receivers making catches. I mean, you know, they've played quite a bit of complementary football on the offensive side, which. To me, I still think Sark's right up front. Yeah, I mean, right now the story of their season in a simple way is Kenneth Walker, Jaden Reed, and, and I think we're going to start to see Jalen Naylor enter that phrase. These three playmakers that are, I think, second to only Ohio State's top three guys in the Big Ten as far as explosiveness and consistency. But, I mean, we never saw, you know, even if you looked at Kenneth Walker's tape from Wake, you could see a good player. Obviously, we knew Jaden Reed was talented. I don't think anyone ever saw those guys leading the nation in anything, but it's happened because of what those other complementary parts are doing. You're getting Peyton Thorne, you're getting an offensive line, and you're getting tight ends like Connor Hayward and, and Tyler Hunt all to do their jobs and be competent and consistent, and that goes a long way. You don't you don't need every position just firing and being dominant. Some Sometimes it's just about turning your weaknesses into average units, and They've done that at offensive line. They've done that at quarterback. They've done that tight end so far. Better question is, are we talking enough about the job that Trey Mosley's done? Because I think as a third receiver option, I mean, it was it was close with a bunch of guys. I mean, they like Foster a lot. I know they like some of those other younger receivers like Lockett and, and Keon Coleman. But Mosley has really stood out to me as a number three guy. You know, he's making plays in 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 the downfield passing game and and some short routes that that he's taken up field, particularly the Miami game. Um, you know, I, I think that when you've got a third option like that, that doesn't allow a defense to really key in on both Reed and Naylor because, you know, all three of those guys can be in the pass game. Yeah, we're really seeing a trickle-down effect at the receiver position, not only in-game as far as the coverage that – Trey Mosley is getting as the number three guy, but I think also in practice. I mean, when you're in this receiver group day after day and you're seeing the things that Jalen Naylor and Jaden Reed are doing, it raises your play a little bit, and it's doing that on defense. I just remember how many times those receivers in fall camp kept referencing the battles they had with cornerbacks like Chester Kimbrell and uh, Ronald Williams and how physical and competitive they were. And so when Trey Mosley sees you know Jalen Naylor and, and Ronald Williams going after it, you know it kind of raises his play a little bit and. I, I think that's a great point because I really noticed that against Western Kentucky as much as they sold out to – and they didn't really limit Reed and Naylor, but when they did, it always felt like Trey Mosley was open as that third option. You just they're, they're, They just had no answer for the three of them. He's got good hands and he blocks well. And, you know, that's, you know, that's I think, with, with his size on the edge. I mean, you think about the – as much as we talk about the offensive line, I think this might be the best group of Michigan State receivers to block – uh, all the way back to the the group that had, you know, B.J. Cunningham and Mark Dell and Keith Nickel and 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 to some extent Keyshawn Martin, but really those other three guys were real big physical dudes who who would lock up a defensive back and not allow them to to get to the edge and and give a seal 
to to make a you know to allow the running back to turn the corner, and that's something that's that you've seen. Uh, you know, give Kenneth Walker the credit, but give those outside guys a, a, a good amount of credit as well. Yeah, for sure. I you know they keep referencing that phrase "no block, no rock," but I think that really applies to that number three receiver spot because let's be real, this offense is going to give the ball to Kenneth Walker, Jaden Reed, Jalen Naylor. And outside of that, you're going to occasionally get it. You'll get it in games where you throw a lot like Western Kentucky, but there's not a ton of touches for those other spots. So you have to, if you want to get on the field, you got to be able to block and do the little things like that. And Trey Mosley has definitely delivered there, and, and he's seen it pay off a little bit. Yeah, you talk, to, you talk about everyone else kind of getting a little piece, but like even when they've gotten the ball, Connor, Connor Harewood and Jordan Simmons have both kind of had some bright spots for the team this year, which also you know bodes well going forward and, and building up that depth that, that you need if you're going to make a big run here. Yeah, yeah I'm and, interested to see. Sorry, I was just going to say, Connor Hayward is he's been a great story at tight end and, and had you know that awesome play against Nebraska where he trucked the guy. Um, there's still some some growth there for him. I mean, like William Peekler was talking today about just how little time he's even gotten to be a tight end, and I think we saw that in Western Kentucky. They kept trying to set things up for him. I think he had like three catches for five yards with two drops. So not not to hammer on Connor Hayward because it's a tough transition, and he's had such a weird up and down career but it just goes to show that like these we talk about these upcoming games for the defense to grow a little bit before you get the real tests Connor Hayward's another guy there's those guys in those newer roles I think this is big big time to get them a little bit more acclimated talk about that and I know we've talked a lot about Walker and I think he's at 33 to 1 odds now uh the the eighth best uh candidate uh in the betting odds for the the Heisman um I wonder if we're sleeping on Jaden Reed because, you know, you're talking about a guy who leads the nation in, in all purpose yards and projecting that out. You, you think about some of the guys that have won that award, having their, their quote unquote Heisman moment, the ability to turn a punt upfield and, and run it back always all the way back. I mean, you, know, you think about Tim Brown, you think about Desmond Howard, how many of those guys that were returning kicks and punts really, stamp themselves as all around players to to in the special teams game to to get that award you know maybe we're sleeping on him i don't know um you know I, but i mean he's got to continue to produce what he's done in the passing game I mean, he had two 46 yard catches got great separation um you know ran away from the western kentucky defenders but can you do that against the the defensive players on michigan can you do that against ohio state you know, those two games in particular and Penn State as well. I think if you have big games in those three games, whether it's Reed or Walker, that's I think where you see some separation of of the potential to be a, a in New York, at least, you know, get there uh, and then see whatever happens. Yeah, there's no chance that they're beating Nebraska, if not for Gene Reed taking that punt back to the house. And you think about it right now, they're ranked 11th, which not to rain on the parade too much. I think it's pretty absurd that they're ranked 11th. I don't I don't think they've put that resume out there, but they are. But what what do you guys think they would be ranked if they lost in Nebraska and they were 4 and 1 instead? Would they even be in the top 25? Probably not. If maybe 24, 25th at best. I think so. I think they'd still be in that that range. I mean, I think Nebraska, I mean, you look at the teams that Nebraska's lost to. Um you know, they, they, those are whether you want to call them quality losses or not. I mean, they, 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 they've really shown out. It'll look a lot. I think you know, as the season progresses, if Nebraska keeps playing well, if they're able to stun Michigan this week, 
um, which I maybe it's not that maybe it wouldn't be that much of a stunner in Lincoln because you know there, there's been some really good Michigan State teams that have gone down there against some really mediocre Nebraska teams and lost. And I think this Nebraska defense is playing at a, at a pretty high level. So, you know, I mean, if that happens, um, you know, all of a sudden you get a resume boost. And I mean, back to the Miami situation. I mean, that second, that that fourth quarter just absolutely broke Miami. Michigan State's fourth quarter, not just from what they did on the offensive side, but the fact that, you know, the defense just destroyed De'Ara King. I mean, he's, he's out again Thursday uh, for the game against Virginia. So, I mean, you know, that there's still chances there if he comes back and, and Miami's able to to put together some some quality wins with with him back. But if he if he gets healthy, is a big question. You know, I mean, that's same thing with Michael Penix at Indiana, too, is like if, if those guys can get healthy what do the what what can those teams do over the course of the next two months to to for Michigan State standpoint to to make it look a lot better uh, if they are to beat Indiana and for Nebraska's standpoint make that look like a better win even though we know that they they were that punt return and and bad punt away from from taking the L yeah and that fourth quarter versus Miami also created the deep water coat quote and now we have the deep end as Michigan State suit section so uh, a lot has a lot has come from that fourth quarter of the Miami game is is my takeaway from all this yeah a lot of a lot of nicknames going on these <laughs> yeah. days you gotta you gotta have an excel spreadsheet to kind of keep track of all of them all yeah. of them at this point well well now you have Michigan State and Rutgers battling over who chops wood better so <laughs> it, it brings something to this matchup at least can we talk about that for a couple couple seconds here uh we have it, to yeah I just I, want to no, say I, I I, got, I see it. I, I see it. Yeah, it's just a. Uh, it feels like is this like an age thing between people arguing about this? I mean, I mean, it's to me, it's pretty clear that I don't think Rutgers created it, but they are certainly the program that that made that quote famous. I don't think that's up for debate much now. Uh, whether or not other teams are allowed to use it is 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 fine. I don't I don't really care about that. But it, I mean, Rutgers did start it, so I can see where they could be upset a little bit. Like I remember after that was a 2006 or 2007 when Rutgers started that uh, every high school coach in America would say that uh, we got to keep chopping or we're chopping wood. And even Chuck Pagano when he was with the Colts, that was also a saying they use. So, I mean, this is a phrase that is now basically in the lexicon for 15, 16 years here. Basically I don't need to see the two programs argue about this, whether it's the head coaches or their fan bases on Twitter. It's kind of, kind of redundant, a little ridiculous if you ask me. So there's, there's my take regarding that. Yeah, I mean, having covered the NFL a little bit of the Lions and Bears, I heard that all the time there. And I mean, Mel Tucker was with the Bears. So that might have been part of it. But it's it's one of those things where, like, in the NFL, they say that a lot on defense because you're trying to survive these prolific passing games and you're not built to just shut them down. So everything's about flush the play and go to the next one, just survive, hang in there. And that's the whole bend but don't break philosophy that I think Rutgers and Michigan State on defense are kind of living out right now. It's, I mean – if they were dominant defenses, I don't think you would hear that quite as much, but you know, it works for the programs they are and whatever they can battle over it. I mean, the Paul Bunyan trophy has been around since I believe, uh, fifties, is it forties? Maybe I think it came in 53. Um, you know, after Michigan state joined the big 10 and what lo and behold, there's an ax there. <laughs> Paul Bunyan shops wood. I mean, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of mind blowing. It's because, you know, I, I like to like I I love these coaches' phrases, right? You know, there was a point when Nick Saban was at Michigan State, and I had never heard anyone use this phrase, but he was talking about a lot of things, and he said it is what it is, which drives me nuts because 
what is it? Okay, right? That's uh, that's what I want to ask everybody. Anytime someone says it is what it is, well, what is it? That's what I'm. That's why we're asking you these questions, right? This is just another one of those things. I mean, you know, I, I don't understand what, what's the parable. If like you're in a woods and you get lost and you you've got an axe, you just need to keep chopping, cut down trees, walk around the trees. I mean, <laughs> you know, how close together are these trees? <laughs> Well, it's it's I mean, almost just sort of a uh, just a cop out to answers at this point. I mean, yeah. Angelo Gross on Saturday, when whenever anyone would follow up and be like, "Could you elaborate on that?" He's like, "Nope, just keep chopping wood." <laughs> so it's like, it's, well, well, and here's the thing: let's say those trees are that close together, and you're chopping them down, they're gonna fall off the other trees and hit you because they're too close. Like, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Sometimes these things that coaches just love to buy into and love to to talk about and motivate the players if you sit there and actually think about it you're just like what what, what, what <laughs> how does that even yeah like, bring logic the, like bringing the deep water at the deep end back to michigan state like okay that works for a week in miami florida but right. uh i'm not getting it until i guess the red cedar river overflows but like come it, on it, which it does often yeah. often i will say this though about about the red cedar there's it, and i guarantee that anybody that i that knows this the red cedar in the history of of it in Michigan State. There there are plenty of things that that are at the bottom of the red cedar. The, the the old the old joke was that you could throw a quarter into the red cedar and it would bounce out. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Sports and coaching is just built on catchphrases. That's basically just it's always been that way since the beginning beginning of time. And a, a phrase I always like to use to use it was sort of like you were referencing Angela Gross, just saying nope, keep chopping, you know. And that's how we change the subject. When I used to coach football, what I used to say is when maybe I didn't know the answer to a question or a player would not understand what I was saying, I would just say, "Be an athlete." That's that's my response. Hey man, just go out there and make a play. Be an athlete. So uh, so I understand when you say it is what it is. We just deflect and we deflect and move on. Yeah, be an athlete. That's that's real constructive coaching there, Phil. Thank you. you know? yeah. Hey, I'm only five seven and I can only run a five five forty. Well, just be an athlete. Well, I'm trying. Well, I'm, uh, you know, my my kids are going to be superheroes for Halloween or something like that. So, you know, just just be that. I guess it's kind of <laughs> the same thing. Like just be an athlete, put put be, on a jersey, be a superhero, be Iron Man, be Hulk, sure. whatever. All the, the, is Hulk in the in the Red Cedar? That's I think that's the question we might need to get the answer to at some point here. <laughs> but uh, all right, well let's move on to Rutgers here a little bit. Obviously, last year's game. Well, I don't know if it lingers in the back of your mind, but it still lingers in the back of my mind because it was just a a crazy game with the seven turnovers and the sudden loss against a Rutgers team that you know obviously Michigan State wasn't very good last year, but but, but neither was Rutgers and. I, I, the way that game played out was, I think, pretty stunning to all of us still. Uh, Chris, I mean, do you think these guys are thinking about that game quite a bit, or have they moved on past that? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, as much as Mel Tucker wants to say about the Cal Halliday thing, you know, it's Tuesday, we move on past it. Well, Monday he was showing this team the seven turnovers from last year against Rutgers. So that's kind of one of those things that, you know, for sure it's in the front of their minds. I mean – you know that, but that, that's also something that's been in their minds for quite a while, anyways, because they've been trying and, and preaching ball security so much, and and really trying to cut down the turnovers that that proved to be costly. I mean, that, you had seven in that game, but you had a lot more over the course of that year uh, that that proved problematic uh, in going two and five, and, and that was something that that we've seen this team so far do a good job of. They they've you know Thorne's got the one interception on a deep ball that 
you know, basically was ends up being a punt. Um, you know, the the fumbles. I think, the, you know, the two fumbles that I can think of were the the Russo one at the end of a game and the Joiner one at the end of a game that were already in hand. Um, so you're talking about second and third string guys. So yeah, there's. I mean, you know, that that should be in the front of their minds because that's ultimately the big thing that cost them in that game. Yeah, I actually think that's really the. Only realistic, I shouldn't say only, but the most realistic path for Rutgers to win this game is to force turnovers because you know, I was watching them play Ohio State on Saturday and like they have no chance of covering uh, those athletes. They give up five receptions or runs for at least 35 yards. And I mean, Trayvon Henderson and, and Chris Olave just running absolutely wild on these guys. But yet, you know, you don't get a chance at explosive plays like that if you give the ball away. We saw that last year is that I think two of those turnovers were Jaden Reed fumbling when he had the ball. So it's like your playmakers have to, you know, in in the course of making plays, not give it away, not, not try to do too much, just trust what you are. And I think that's, what's different here is they can trust what's going on here rather than try and do a little too much. Like they were in that first game. It felt like once they would get a turnover, they would get down. It's like everyone had to try and become a hero a little bit when they didn't have one and it just snowballed. Yeah, you really. I mean, I don't know. If, by the way, can you hear me? I had to switch the headphones on. Hopefully, hopefully everybody heard my children coming home upstairs, like the thundering herd of Marshall. <laughs> um, but um, you know that that was. I mean, the one thing I think we saw in that game was the lack of an off season, right? I mean, we saw a, a team that that looked like they hadn't run a lot of those plays because they hadn't run a lot of those plays. We looked. We saw a defense that looked like they they were not equipped physically to to deal with Rutgers because they weren't and you know that's something that you know if if anything about these five games uh to start the season we've seen is a lot of the lessons that were that were brought to to Tucker's attention in that first game and yeah I know they beat Michigan and I know they beat Northwestern and both teams were ranked uh at that point and Northwestern went on to a really good season but those those problems persisted throughout last year and that was an off season spent on cleaning up those things to get them back in into better shape and you know and, and bringing guys that that have not just the talent but the speed and the physicality and the ability to play on special teams because I think that's something that you know sometimes gets lost in the mix I mean they you know they've got a lot of guys playing special teams that are starters on either side of the ball, which increases the team speed and athleticism. That's how you be a playmaker. That's how you be an athlete, Phil. Just <laughs> you know, be a starter and put them on special teams. But you know, all these things that really uh, conspired against them in that Rutgers game that that you realized, oh wait a minute, this is this is a new coach and a new program. I get it, but and yeah, so so was Shiano at Rutgers, but you know, Shiano had a had the winter. Mel Tucker didn't, and it, it, you can see how much. Even those couple months made a difference between those two programs a year ago, and and I think that, you know, the one thing that, that Tucker's done is he's caught up. But I think that, listen, I, I still think that Shiano's doing a good job at Rutgers. They're three and two. I mean, you know, this is it's kind of like how he built it the first time, and you know, and, and a little maybe a little quicker rebuild just simply because of the portal and, and the way they were able to to improve their roster. But yeah, I, I think that. Uh, you know, when you see the the lessons that 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 Mel Tucker picked up from from what he his first inkling of what that team was, you know, a lot of those guys are gone now, whole different team. Yeah, and I think one huge difference is that 
Greg Shannon also had a lot of familiarity with the Rutgers program, and he had a better understanding of what players could do and what they could not do and brought in a couple of transfers for what he thought they couldn't do. I mean, Mel had Mel. I had talked to Mel in the spring about just what last season was like. And he said the thing that shocked him the most was how much he had to spend last year learning what players could do and not do. And there are things you just didn't understand until the heat of a game. And that's what a lot of the turnovers came out is that guys, you were trying to get them to do things that maybe they're not quite equipped to do or ready to do, or they haven't done before. And that's what has led to Mel going so hard after the transfer portal. I mean, a lot of people, I think, look at the transfer portal and think like, you know, he's just trying to, to gut the roster. He doesn't like, it's not all about talent level. Some of it was just about very specific roles that are not here right now, such as a left tackle like Jared Horst, um, a, a, a cornerback with the length that Ronald Williams has, and then a running back who can create something out of nothing like Kenneth Walker. So as part of it was raising the talent level, but part of it was getting guys that you could go onto film and watch have played for two, three years in another program and say, I'm pretty confident I know what this guy could do. Now, I don't think they knew everything Kenneth Walker could do, but they were pretty confident that if we get him in a downhill offense and and we need a guy who can kind of create something when we're getting beat a little bit up front, he can do that. And you're seeing that in different spots of the roster. And that's something they just had no chance at last year. And at some point they got in the middle of the season and what you got is what you got. And if anything, what you have is – decreasing because they had guys opting out or guys getting COVID. I mean, it wasn't getting better. It was getting worse from week one on. And it was just kind of a storm that um, they just had to get through and get into the off season. And we're seeing a completely different team now. And and that was, you know, the timing of the hire uh, for Tucker was, was versus Shiano's. I mean, it doesn't seem like much when Shiano's hired in December and, and Tucker's hired in February, but one, that's three months worth of being able to watch film on the guys you've already got the program to understand it. Uh, not just three months, but three months without that first three months on your job trying to figure out, well, geez, how are we going to have the players going home and, and having to deal with teaching things remotely and worrying about keeping players safe and all the things that Tucker in his first three months, you know, a month under the job is when COVID shut everything down. And, you know, that that distracts from your focus of what football coaches do in terms of watching film and getting out and recruiting and, and doing all the things that, that really build a program. And the other thing about that timing, it allowed Shiano to go into the portal and get guys. Whereas Mel Tucker didn't really have that because again, you know, Shiano had three months to watch film to understand where the weaknesses were the previous year. Tucker had less than a month to try and figure that out and then also figure out who these younger guys are that there's no tape on other than practice. I think that's part of the reason why he's, he's done so much with, with, with filming everything uh, from multiple angles in practice. And, you know, and yeah, there was practice tape from a year ago or when, you know, in the 2019 season before he was hired, but you know, he's really put an emphasis. And I think there's, I've seen more cameras, uh, you know, when we were in there in, in camp, you know, I saw a lot of different cameras that were just kind of in hidden places that you maybe didn't realize that they give coaches different perspectives. And hearing them talk about, you know, now watching guys that are loafing and watching guys that are doing uniform violations, all these little things. You know, that's what I think with the Nebraska game. Was it the Nebraska game uh, that set them off the, uh, the the penalty that they took on the Jaden yeah. Reed? The, punt return that's a little thing the sideline demeanor of the team you know but those 15 yards back you up every time and you know that can be that's 15 yards of field position you know if you're if you're 
Matt Coughlin getting touchbacks normally. Now, instead of putting the team at the 25, that's that's risks your your defense starting at the 40. You know, having 60 yards to defend. Now, that they were saved by Matt Coughlin's leg, who I think has really been an underappreciated weapon um, in the kickoff game. Um, cause I think that's helped as much as the coverage units, but, but yeah, I mean, these are all these little things that, that Tucker has done, um, you know, since, you know, finally getting on back on a normal cycle, which was, you know, we, we can talk about it all we want. Um, and I know we did quite a bit, but now you're starting to see the benefits of it. You know, I think that was going into the year. was he going to be a good teacher. You know, it's, diff- it's one thing to be a coordinator. It's a whole other thing to be a head coach in year two and, and trying to build growth. We hadn't seen that yet. And I, I think, you know, I, I think he's ahead of schedule maybe a little bit with some of that stuff. Yeah. He's showing a lot of the ability to develop and, and maximize athletes too, because it's, it's one thing to recruit and they're recruiting pretty well, but I mean, a lot of the guys are bringing in, we're not going to see for a few years, but you're seeing the guys that he already had on the roster making enormous gains physically, and that was kind of the big thing is his you know, his big his programs built around the offseason program in a lot of ways and taking guys and maximizing their bodies for whatever that is. And he gets it down to, you know, they, they put out the the tweets and the photos of how much weight a guy has added and what his body fat is that they that's how he understands like what guys are physically capable of doing. And they had none of that last year. I mean, like I heard from guys that they pretty much showed up and they got introduced to the, all the new hires. And that was they, they lifted a little bit and then like literally in the middle of a workout, they come in and say everything's shut down. And so now guys are back home, even though they're sending them workouts. I mean, it's not like you're recording every player and seeing exactly and pushing him to his limits. There just was no way to have an off season. Like he wants to have it stuff. He's taken from the NFL to try and implement here, especially with nutrition as much as we've gotten to, to talk about Amber Reinstein and just the way they've remade bodies in a year um, that's how you get the most out of a roster, which is important in Michigan State because it's not Ohio State or Alabama that just has guys who step in and are, are more talented than everyone else. And last year we saw a lot of ways they were less talented. And again, you get in the middle of season, you get to week three at Iowa, and you realize we don't have anyone who can set the edge against a, a wide zone run scheme. You're not going to find that now. You're not going to build that strength, and you're not going to get it out of the portal. So the offseason let them get all of that stuff they couldn't find. What I thought was interesting, you know, to because we didn't have a comparative, right? We didn't know what a year two of a Mel Tucker program would look like. We only had the one year at Colorado, but you look at what Colorado did last year, four and two. You know, I mean, they they won some games. I mean, they won some big games. They, they won over UCLA, Stanford, and, and at Arizona. They faded a little down the stretch, but, you know, you those are the, those are the incremental gains that Tucker's talked about that his program made between – December, January, and then early February before he took the Michigan State job, right? I mean, so that's where he had his offseason, and you saw some of that. You know, maybe we didn't really look at at the the way that Colorado improved from his five and seven debut to last year, Um, and and maybe you think, well, coaching had something to do with that, and but that was now we're seeing year two at Michigan State. You're seeing the parallels to to what Colorado did a year ago. Yeah, and I think that strength strength and speed development is is it's just not talked about enough at the college level. Yeah. But that's how these mid tier programs rise up. Is I saw it when I was at the University of Missouri. That was Gary Pinkle's plan. They got a lot of these three star guys, and they ended up putting out some of the best 
offensive and defensive linemen in the NFL every year from these guys who were three-star recruits because over the course of four or five years of redshirting, you develop them and you get the absolute most out of them. And that's the Mel Tucker plan here is he's, he knows what the NFL looks for and he, he really zones in on measurables and what he wants at each position. And that's why when he has certain positions where he's like, hey, we don't have it and we can't build it in one offseason, we're going to the portal to get a left tackle, to get a running back, to get a cornerback. It's just it's all kind of fitting a plan in a way that I mean last year gave no chance. And to your point, Chris, until we saw a year two for Mel, we were never going to know that. There's yeah. never going to be a year one that works that way. And so it's got to encourage people who are following this program that that this can continue and that this that, that this has a chance to build a little bit year to year. All right. Well, let's move on to our final segment of each Spartan Speak podcast, and that is predictions. Nate, how you feeling about Saturday's game? Uh, I think Saturday is a game where I, I do think you'll see a turnover or two from Michigan State. I, I do think that's Rutgers is trying to flush a pretty embarrassing loss to Ohio State when they've been competitive, winning or in every game so far this year. Last that was kind of a game where they just got outclassed, even with a, with a hyped up crowd. So I think they'll get after it a little bit the ways they did last year against Michigan State, but. Ultimately, Michigan State's athletes are too much. It's the same kind of deal with uh, with Ohio State overwhelming them on the perimeter and and with their skill players. And so I think eventually Michigan State will pull away from a, a tighter game. And I'm going to say that, that Michigan State's going to win. I'm going to go 31-21. Chris? Yeah, I, I still think that I, I agree with you on that. I mean, particularly, you know, Shiano having those ties with, with Ohio State. Um you know, that, that there's a humbling that comes in that. And he's not one of those kind of coaches that, that takes that lightly. And he'll probably put it into his team this week. And I think you're going to see a team that probably resembles a little more of the team that, that nearly beat Michigan. Um, I, I think on the offensive side, uh, you know, as you know, you've got Vedral who, you know, what he can do. And, you know, there's, there's not a lot in terms of, you know, dynamic playmakers, but they're going to do what they do. Um, and, you know, to me, it's up to Michigan State to to kind of shut them down uh, on that side of the ball because I think that Rutgers is going to shut them down. I do think that, you know, the passing game will be limited. I've always liked their, their cornerbacks, uh, the two Averys, Trey Avery and Avery Young. I think they're pretty good guys that, that you know, they're a little unheralded just because they play at Rutgers, but they're, you know, they're both dynamic playmakers. And I think that this is going to be a game that, you know, you're going to need Kenneth Walker to show out. Maybe they'll sell out, you know, on the run uh, a little bit. But, you know, you need to, to not only get Walker, but I think, like you mentioned earlier, Connor Hayward could be important. Trip, uh, Tyler Hunt, you know, that that middle passing game, maybe more so than the downfield passing game. In this, I think Michigan State wins it. I, you know, before the season, I had Rutgers winning at 24 to 20. So I'm just going to flip it and have Michigan State winning 24 to 20. Well, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Vedral there, Chris, because he he had a pretty good game uh, versus the Spartans last season. And he actually hasn't been that bad this season. He's completed 67 percent of his passes, so he does you know com- obviously complete a high percentage of his passes, and he can move Rutgers downfield. Nate, maybe is there anything you saw from him in that Ohio State game or anything from Rutgers that makes you think they could give the Spartans problems at all or not? Um, I think the best is chance they have is just first of all they got to get Bo Melton to play their wide receiver he got injured against Ohio State and I heard Greg Shiano say he's hoping he's able to go and that was their leading receiver last year I think he he and and Aaron Crookshanks who's the 
um, transfer from Wisconsin. He broke a 75-yard touchdown against Ohio State. Those are the guys they've got to live through. Get the ball in their hands as quickly as you can and, and just kind of let them go. Um, the game got away from them so fast against Ohio State that that didn't really matter. And then obviously Melton got hurt. But I think if they can attack the middle of this Michigan State defense that is missing Cal Halliday for a half and, and you know, they, they work a spin but don't break style. So there's going to be some room to operate within that. I think if they can get some of those plays to those guys and and if, you know, Crookshanks can break one like he did against Ohio State and just do do enough there, I think that's going to help them. And then I think on special teams, is that's kind of where they make their hay is, is being a team that makes some big plays. Crookshanks is maybe the best returner in the Big Ten. Um, so they're just going to have to kind of hang in it with – you know, turnover on defense, turnover two on defense, really good special teams play, and then a couple of big plays on offense. Their offense is not built to drive um, very well down the field. They're 115th in the nation in yards per play. So they're not a, if this becomes a, a game of trading 70 yard drives, um, it's not going to go Rutgers' way, but I think they can get a few big plays and, and maybe finally get a chance to break this defense if one of those skill players can take it to the house. Noah Vedro, game manager. <laughs> Nate, at the very beginning of this podcast, you talked about how you, if Michigan State's as good as we think they are, they're going to need to blow this Rutgers team out. And I, you combine that with what you know I said about maybe talking about these guys about a potential college football playoff team, and you put those two things together, and that's where I think Michigan State's going to win this game pretty handily. I am going to say Spartans 35, Rutgers 13 to easily cover the 5.5-point spread. So that's where I stand on that. Uh, any final thoughts before we sign off here? It's People the birthplace get... of football. Yeah. <laughs> it is the birthplace. It is homecoming at Rutgers this week. So I know Mel, Mel City is expecting a hostile crowd. I think that's being a little bit nice, but who knows? Maybe they'll maybe they'll gear back up for it. I just think the crowd's going to be a little bit humbled off that. They were pretty jacked for that Ohio State game, and I mean that just went south in a heart. It, it, it will be the first, probably the first true road environment that Michigan State has faced because I think they had a bunch of fans in Miami. And every game at Northwestern essentially is like a home game for Michigan State. So I think this that don't don't discount that. Don't discount that because you know the Rutgers faithful um, are pretty faithful. Um, and it's you know, hey, homecoming games are weird, man. You know, let's just hope it doesn't flood there. I, I don't need to be caught in floodwaters by the stadium. <laughs> I hope you're not caught in floodwaters, but I will say it is amusing to read some of your travel updates whenever these disasters do strike up. So there's a little bit of humor to it, but I hope you're okay. You can drive it uh, out. Odd, odds are if it's going to happen, it will be on this trip while I'm there. So. <laughs> All right, well, maybe they have to survive the deep water once more. <laughs> ah. A perfect way to end this podcast. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Chris Solari, at Nate Atkins underscore, at Phil underscore friend, and the LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. 
from the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.